<clears throat> well, this morning uh, we'll be talking about leadership. Uh, I've been thinking about this conversation for a few years now, um, ever since I, I left uh, the real work environment a few years ago. Um, and I think it's particularly important considering the timeliness of our upcoming elections, um, likely upcoming court trials. <laughs> and it's per perhaps an opportune time to think about leadership in the context of Christianity, not just the context of what's happening in the world around us. Um, and uh, before we get to our scripture readings, uh, I do want to note that this morning, uh, my mom uh, is here uh, visiting with us this morning. Uh, she's not just visiting, but as you can imagine, she said that she needed to be here in case I got out of line. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying to go on the straight and narrow this morning. Um, our scripture readings this morning are from, uh, I think, I think you, do you have the scripture readings you can put up for me? I think they come before this, from Corinthians. They should be part of the original. There we go. And I think there's one before that. Scripture readings, there's two this morning uh, that I brought. Um, the first, this, this actually is probably better than that second one's up anyway. But the first is from Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And it's really just a single line. Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. That's the King James Version, but I also have the same verse in the New King James Version, which I wanted you to hear, which is, imitate me, just as I imitate Christ. And then from Matthew, chapter 20, verses 26 through 28. Be it shall not, be it shall not be, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be minister unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Okay, so let's see if we can find out a little bit more about what Jesus had to say uh, together. But first, uh, please bow your heads for a quick prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth be acceptable to you. Hide me behind the cross so that people see you, Lord, and not me. If I say things that are displeasing to you, Lord, let the words be as dust in the wind and throw them aside as if they never existed. And may the people hear things that I do not say because they heard you, Lord. Amen. Okay. So... advance the slides. It was working earlier. Oh, thank you. You could tell the master speaker is hard at work. So the question that we have to begin this morning is, how do we know a leader when we see one? What do we look for? How do we know a great leader from a modest one or a weak one? How would you describe a great leader? What are the words that you would use for a great leader? 
Now, when we say leader, many of us often think about business or organizational leaders. Business leaders like Rockefeller, Henry Ford, Andrew Carnegie, P.T. Barnum, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, these are the people who typically come to mind. And by the way, those folks who I just mentioned are listed among the 10 greatest leaders of all time. But certainly, there are military leaders, Eisenhower, Patton, Rommel, civil rights leaders like the great Martin Luther King, Christian leaders, Am Grand Lotz, Billy Graham, band leaders like Tommy Dorsey, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, my dad's favorite, Stan Kenton, and sports coaches, Vince Lombardi here, Nick Saban, Bear Bryant. Uh, that loud voice that you hear from the back of the room is my wife yelling Nick Sirianni from the Eagles. How about Jesus of Nazareth? How about that name? Especially considering the tremendous hardship and the challenges and the environmental handicaps that Christ had. You know, he never rode in a car, never rode in a bus, never took a train, never took a plane. By all accounts, he never traveled more than 30 miles from his residence and his home. He never married. He never lived past 33 years of age. He never vied for popularity or fame or glory. Never had a social media account. Didn't have a home phone, no mobile phone. Never was featured or interviewed in a broadcast or appeared in TV. He never wrote a book or published a paper. But the book written about him and his father is the most prolific, the most translated, and the widest read in all of history. Surely these metrics suggest someone of fantastic accomplishments, but do they really suggest leadership? Is that, do we really think about, aside from Christ as our faith, our leader of our faith, is this, is this really leadership? Well, haven't we all seen Jesus portrayed as one of the greatest of all men, the greatest figures of all time. When we review what makes great leaders, in other words, people who follow other people, Bill Ennins and I noted that about, about 10 years ago, <clears throat> that it's a little bit shocking that his name and his examples didn't appear anywhere in the Harvard Business Review. Unbelievable. As Christians, shouldn't we agree and shout from the rooftops that Jesus was the greatest leader the world has ever seen? Oh, and parenthetically, what does Scripture have to say about leadership? Let's think about that. Bear with me for a few minutes. I'm going to take some time to set the context, and then we'll get specifically to what Scripture has to say. There's certainly a lot to read in Scripture. When I was slugging it out and trudging through the ranks of pharmaceutical and biotech research and development, the product management, business development, commercial development, and ultimately senior and executive management, I thought successful leaders were supposed to figure out all the answers on their own and maybe work it out with other really clever people. Being clever and making sure that everybody else knew it 
seem to be one of the most striking examples and a most, most striking attribute. The best schools, well, you know their name, Kellogg School of Management, the Wharton School, Duke Fuqua School, Carnegie Mellon. So they were supposed to turn out the best jobs. And by definition, of course, the best leaders. Now, I didn't go to any of those schools, but I know this because all the people who did told me how great they were. <laughs> and what was the measure of professional success? Power, fame, glory, cash. Okay, it's beginning to look like we have some pretty tangible examples of success, don't we? Certainly among present-day leaders. In fact, uh, early in all of our careers, prominent leaders like, CE, like uh, GE's Jack Welsh were revered by business experts for their intellect, their strategic sense, their hard-charging style. Weren't they all considered infallible, inspiring and almost cult-like following? But this traditional model of a leader, I think you'll have to advance that one for me. There we go. But this traditional model of a leader, hero who saves the day, knows it all, the smartest person in the room isn't really valid in today's environment, is it? Why not? Why not? Well, it's because today people expect a different kind of leader. And you know what? We are desperate. We are desperate. We need a different kind of leader. And in fact, when, even when Jack Welch stepped down, GE was the envy of the business world, had a reputation for training superb managers, being giants with the agility of a Barishnikov. But by the time he died, the company had become a stunning symbol of gargantuan mistakes and executive inc incompetence. And what about today? Let's take a few more recent examples. McCarthy, Menendez, Donald Trump, from his renowned art of the deal and president of the United States into slinking into the side door of the federal attorney general's office, slipping into the Georgia state jail to avoid the press while he's being booked for felony indictments. I don't know about you, but I am very confused and frustrated. As we pull back the leadership curtain from the world's wizards, are we not seeing more example of how Pastor Marty describes the broken world that we live in? So then, what can we use as metrics, and who might we, be, who might we call the true leader? When the going gets tough, the tough start to Google. Just call me the Googler. It's always a place to go. So I went through a number of searches a few weeks ago, and I found literally hundreds, thousands of examples of leadership. I even found this, and there's no reason for you to read it. It's not up here to read. But it's even for high school kids, and I actually thought it was brilliant. This is uh, uh, junior ROTC leadership. Uh, it's, you can Google it just like I did. Uh, and uh, it gives some wonderful examples of what leadership is. So it's all the way from the top to the bottom, and th there are literally uh, dozens and hundreds more. But of course, I couldn't help but stumble onto the real standard for business today. Biz Bill Enns knew it, you know it, and I know it, and that's the Harvard Business Review. And while there are thousands of articles in HBR, I think this is the most poignant 
most recent and probably the most accepted one. And there are five key leadership themes here that I'd like to quickly step through. And I think this is how we're going to attack this quickly this morning, is I'd like to quickly step through these examples, these leadership themes, and then see what Scripture has to reveal about our Savior's Savior's examples. And then we'll finish with four key takeaways. Does that sound good? Okay, good. First, leaders have to be very clear about their purpose. The staggering number of people who are leaving their jobs today or thinking about it seriously is a very stark reminder that purpose, both individual and collective, is really at the heart of the world that we live in. Do you recall what Jesus' clarity of purpose was? Was it clear? Well, we don't have to look very far. Uh, In fact, if if we go just back to the August Connection article that Marty gave us, in Isaiah we see, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Well, here, of course, Isaiah was speaking prophetically about the Messiah, but the message, crystal clear. He was anointed to proclaim the good news. Pretty clear purpose. What about the role? Did Jesus have a, have a clear, very clear role? And this can be a little confusing because purpose and role are kind of related to one another, but they're actually different. You see, a leader's role is to create energy and momentum and inspiration, especially when times are tough and circumstances are dire. It's to help others see the possibilities for potential, create energy, inspiration, and hope. More generally, the role of the leader is to create the right environment for others to to flourish. Now, I would have dismissed this idea 30 years ago, but it is essential to the role of a purposeful leader. So, what can we uncover about Christ's role? Was Christ clear about his role? How about the book of John? I am the light of the world. This is in the second of seven I am declarations of Jesus, recorded only in John's gospel, that point of his unique divine identity. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What can we hope for in a broken world? In declaring himself to be the light of the world, Jesus was claiming that he is the exclusive source of spiritual light. No other source of spiritual light is available to mankind. Those who perceive the true light will never walk in spiritual darkness. What's spiritual darkness? Separation from God. Well, you and I know that physical light is necessary for all physical life. The earth would certainly be changed dramatically if there wasn't any sunlight any longer. A forest full of trees with very thick canopies of foliage, has very little plant life on the ground except for moss or lichen, which, of course, needs sunlight. Plants will never move away from light. And for the science teachers in the room like Bruce, they're said to be positively phototropic, right, Bruce? Drawn to the light. In the same way, spiritual life is necessary 
for spiritual life. And this can be a good test of our standing in Christ. Okay? Christ was pretty clear about his purpose and his role on life. And now we, we move to the exciting one. Whoops, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm one ahead. Can, there we go. Thank you. And that is be clear about who you serve and hint it's not about you. And this always reminds me of my dad who used to say, hey, smart guy, it's not about you. And I would murmur something awful uh, under my breath, and he would hear that, and he'd say, we could talk about that, but you won't be able to sit down for a week. A fundamental element of purposeful leadership is to be clear about who you serve, both during good and challenging times. Now, as a pharmaceutical and a biotech leader, I serve the people on the front lines and who are driving the business. I served my colleagues. They didn't serve me. I served my supervisor, and I served my board of directors. You serve the people around you by first understanding what they need to give their best so that you can do your very best to support them. Joy and Sandra serve their constituents in call to ministries, call to peace. Pastor Marty serves his flock here at Hope by understanding what we need and then tending to us. We're a relatively small church, to be sure, but we are still a significant big flock, and he, he does a beautiful job of taking care of us. But in fact, we need to view everyone, everyone that we come in contact with as a customer. The way you treat the handyman, the way you treat airline employees, the way you treat wait, a restaurant waitstaff, that will all greatly influence the service that you receive. Remember that the best leaders don't climb to the top over the backs of others. They're carried to the top. And serving others is how it happens. And you know, this is explicitly how the Bible defines a leader. And really, the only place in Scripture that defines leadership per se. Do you remember uh, today's uh, Scripture? I'm sorry, I, I think we're there already. Remember today's uh, scripture reading, Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament and started many of the first churches, didn't just write, imitate me or follow me. He wrote, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul knew what every disciple should know too. Every leader in God's kingdom has to be a follower. And all of us, all of us follow Jesus. You know, this reminds me of when I graduated from high school 100 years ago. In June 1976, there was a PLO, PLO attack where terrorists hijacked an airliner. You may recall that. And that airliner was hijacked and landed in Entebbe, Uganda. The hijack was at the time in 76. This is in June, June of 76, right after I graduated. Uh, and it was supported by the dictator Idi Amin at that time. And uh, Eric Severide, there's a name from the past, was reporting uh, on the counter-terrorist rescue mission that was, uh, that was to recover the kidnapped Jewish hostages. And that rescue was carried out by the Israeli Defense Forces at Entebbe Airport in Uganda, and hence it was depicted in a movie the next year, in 1977, called Raid in Entebbe. And if you recall, during that successful raid, Five Israeli commandos were wounded, but only one was killed. There were a few, there were four hostages that were killed as well. 
but there was only one that was killed. And you know who was killed? The unit commander. His name was Lieutenant Colonel Yonatan Netanyahu. He was the top guy. He was the unit commander. Why in the world would the top guy and the unit commander be killed and none of the other commandos? Well, it turns out, if you know something about Israeli Defense Forces, is that every male in Israel has to serve military time. Uh, they're drafted when they're 18, and they serve a few years. They're trained, but it's kind of a boot camp uh, type training. They don't receive specialist training, per se. Only the senior people who stay with the military do. And so these were relatively simple sh soldiers with not tremendous amount of training. So when it was time to attack, Yanni just said two words, follow me, follow me. He was the first out, and he was killed by a sniper. You also may recognize his name, too, because Netanyahu, he was the older brother of Benjamin Netanyahu, is prime minister now. But it was a very mortal reminder that a leader serves, a leader serves, and Yanni served his soldiers. Likewise, we know that Jesus turned the entire leadership concert, concept on his head when he declared, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The role of leaders is not to serve themselves, but to serve those whom they lead. There's no better example in Harvard Business Review or elsewhere. And in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus tells his disciples that leaders should not exercise authority over people. Instead, whoever wants to become great must lower himself to be a servant. True leaders recognize that serving others is the only way to lead with a pure heart, free of pride and arrogance. The fourth element of this is be driven by values. I'm going to skip that because I really want to focus on authenticity and being authentic. And I love this word. I love this word, authentic and authenticity. Because it's about being yourself. Be your true self, your whole self. The best version of yourself. Be vulnerable. Be authentic. Being vulnerable and authentic, though, does not mean offloading your emotions and everything else to your friends and confidence. It doesn't mean that. It's not a drama. Male or female, it's not a drama where you need to audition for the lead role in the drama king or the drama queen. For leaders, it means sharing emotions and struggles when appropriate and when helpful to others. What can we tell about Jesus' authenticity? Jesus, God in the flesh, experienced a wide range of emotions during his Short span of 33 years on our, on our planet. How do we know? Well, scripture tells us. Jesus was often referred to as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was also one who knew joy. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, tells us, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So do you see the incredible juxtaposition here? 
that just jumps out at us. First, leadership is serving. It's not authority. I'm the leader. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the guy in charge. And now Jesus said, oh, and by the way, it's not, you, you don't exercise authority. And by the way, it's enduring the shame and the agony of the Christian, of the crucifixion and being on the cross is joyful. How can the word joy, how can that word exist in the same sentence as the words enduring the cross, scorning its shame? How can that word exist during torture at the hands of the Romans and the people around him in front of his friends and family? Why? Because Jesus knew not only the joy of complete obedience to his father, but he knew the joy to come. The eternal reward, being united physically and spiritually with his father in heaven, having secured the salvation of all who would believe. Now, many of us have witnessed firsthand Christian friends and family who are suffering real clinical and emotional pain. I just talked to two yesterday on the phone. Even some who face death. But beyond the resignation, we can also see joy in their eyes. Why? Because they know where they're going. They're suffering but they have the destination in sight. Okay, well, I think we can all agree that Jesus was a great and courageous leader. I certainly believe that. I hope that I have shown a little bit about what that's about and some of the scriptural proof of that. But more importantly, what can we take away today? What can we take in our hearts and in our minds to help us be better Christians following in his footsteps? How do we take these examples of leadership by Christ and how does that affect us? What do we do with them, especially in our daily lives? So to finish up, I'd like to quickly reference an article that I read a while ago by Chris Hefner, a LifeWay research article, which was entitled Four Leadership Development Lessons from Jesus. And I think there's some very interesting takeaways uh, for us today. Oops, Scoot to the head there a little bit. Okay. And the, verse, the first is, relational investment in others is time well spent. I don't think anyone has taught me more than this than my wife. In Timothy 2, chapter 2, Paul wrote, You have heard from me. Share with faithful men who will be able to teach others too. I had a number of examples here that I wanted to give, but actually, interestingly enough, as I was driving home yesterday, the best example appeared on NPR radio. I don't know if anyone caught the People's Pharmacy yesterday, uh, but it was, it was so perfect, <clears throat> excuse me, it was so perfect for today's sermon. So yesterday in the People's Pharmacy, they were interviewing uh, Dr. Stephen Treziak and Anthony Mazzarelli, and they were from the Cooper Medical School in Rohan, uh, uh, at Rohan University in Camden, New Jersey. Lovely this time of year. And uh, Professor Treziak is the professor and chief of medicine at Cooper Medical School. He wrote a book that's available on, on Amazon. You can check it out if you'd like. It's called The Wonder Drug, 
Seven scientifically proven ways that serving others is the best medicine for yourself. And uh, the professor talked that <clears throat> science showed that serving others is not just the right thing to do. It's also clinically the smart thing to do. Focusing on others is a potent antidote to the weariness of, that many of us feel in modern times. Now, <clears throat> for a little more context, there are at least two kinds of serving. One is called altruism. You know what altruism is, right? And that is give to live, right? What a professor called give to live, and that's altruistic. I'm helping you because I love you, I care about you, I want to be charitable, and it's the right thing to do, and I feel good about it in my heart. The second kind of giving and serving is called strategic helping. It's a transaction. I'm going to help you move out of your apartment because when you move out of your apartment, I'm going to have more room. <laughs> I have more closet, right? And it turns out that motivation and motive matter. And it turns out that when patients were examined, it turns out that there's a longevity benefit. Actually, patients who practice serving others in an altruistic way live longer. Not only do they, do they live longer, their spouses live longer, which is really interesting. And you're saying, Ted, there's no way. I, I just, I can't buy that. There can't be any medical basis to that. Or if there is, there's some, there's some other reason. But Professor Treziak explained that there's neurologic evidence to support that contention. Findings are supported by magnetic resonance. So these patients underwent MRIs and they were asked questions about their altruism and serving others. And it turns out that if you look neurologically, that part of the brain for altruism is different than the transactional type. It's a different part of the brain that gets activated. It's corpus striatum and the subbasal ganglia, but that's a lecture for another time. So it's, it's really kind of an, an, an amazing example, a true medical example. Second, uh, there are different, um, different levels of responsibility that are required for different levels of discernment. In Luke chapters 5 and 6, Jesus called and selected the men who would become his apostles. Jesus interacted with these 12 men, and he knew them intimately. It was time-consuming. It was difficult. It was tough. But Jesus didn't choose his disciples arbitrarily or based on popularity. Instead, he practiced discernment. We use that term a lot in our church, in his selection process. And we know from Scripture that Jesus spent the entire night in prayer before inviting his 12 disciples to follow him around for three years. And that leads us uh, to number three, which is seek the Lord's direction and guidance in prayer. And in all areas of our walk with Christ, of course we need to seek the Lord's direction, but particularly and especially in Christian leadership. Do you remember Hannah's prayer from Pastor Marty's September 10th sermon? Hannah turned to the Lord in her time of need. How many times have we been like Hannah, desperate? Do you ever start to think, I can't face people or pressures right now? I, I just can't do it. Take heart. There are multiple references in the Gospels where even the Son of God had to withdraw by himself from the crowds after an extended time in order to refuel and re-energize through rest and quiet communion with his Father 
I know in our home, um, Karen has a little prayer porch that she goes out to at night. It's just a time to get away, to reflect, to think in quiet and peace, getting away from the hustle bustle of what we, what we think about every day. And last this morning, some people will disappoint. While Jesus practiced discernment in his selection, we should be encouraged that Jesus invited a pretty motley crew of people to be his followers. Peter was a loudmouth. Simon was a zealot. He likely hated anything Roman. And of course, Matthew was a tax collector who worked for the Roman authorities. And then Jesus asked Judas to join his twelve. This reminds me of what my daughter would say when I would say something foolish or outlandish. My daughter Meg would say, really, seriously, Dad? (laughs) And I think at this point we say, really, seriously, Christ? Judas? Can you imagine Jesus' disappointment and heartache in Judas, even though Jesus knew he would be betrayed? Jesus' leadership example reminds us that some people will disappoint us no matter our spiritual maturity, how much we seek and love God, or how intense our discernment. They may fall away or fail to follow through. We see it every day. We see it here. Or they could betray us in some hurtful way. If Judas betrayed the perfect one, then you and I are sure to have people who are going to disappoint us. A reminder that we shouldn't give up. Don't be distracted from our path with God, especially when life here in this broken world gets in the way. I hope that you can see that Christ certainly is my leadership mentor, even if he hasn't appeared in Harvard Business Review yet. We'll make that case for him. So as Christians, with Christ as our guide and lead, you and I must do the following. Invest time in others. It's worth it. Be thoughtful and discerning. Seek the Lord's direction and guidance in prayer. Don't be, dis- don't be dissuaded or surprised by disappointment. And be prepared for the joy, for the joy of today and tomorrow. Amen.